Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Ironworks Podcast. I'm Pastor Tyler. And I'm Zach. And we have a very special guest with us today. This is Pastor Lloyd Pulley. Hey, from, guys. From Calvary Chapel, Old Bridge, New Jersey, who's with us. And he's down at the church uh, helping us with an event. So uh, we're going to take a short break from our series on the Trinity. We'll finish that up in just a couple weeks here. But uh, we didn't want to pass up this opportunity to get him on to, to talk with us. So, Pastor Lloyd, why don't you just introduce yourself? Tell us about a little bit about you, your well, ministry, how you got saved, all that. Oh, my goodness. I grew up in a broken home. My dad had left. My mother had died. My grandmother raised me and my three older sisters, and she took us to church. That's where I got introduced. But when I was 13, uh, I had the world's problems solved from my bedroom, figured I got this worked, <laughs> and uh, walked away from the church. I was able to convince my grandmother I didn't need to go and broke her heart, but she prayed. And God had a way of bringing me back around to him. My first term in college, uh, the Michigan State wrestling team, um, going for chemical engineering. I had this whole plan for my life, and the Lord just just changed it with hope in the gospel and re- rekindled that fire in my life. And then, of course, I was ruined. The first young lady I led to the Lord, I could do nothing else. I, all I could think of was, I've got to do this for life. <laughs> so I left the university. Uh, everyone thought I was crazy. I had a full scholarship. Went out to Southern California where my sister was uh, going to this church called Calvary Chapel. Hey. Trained <laughs> people in the ministry on, on, on the job. And it just seemed so good to me. I could never imagine myself being a pastor, though, because I just, I'm on fire for Jesus. And church was kind of boring and kind of endured it. Uh, and then I walked into uh, Calvary Chapel and Raul Reese, you know, preaching the gospel. I felt right at home, and I'm thinking, man, he's butchering the English language. If he can minister, I, maybe, I, maybe there's hope for me. Hey, if y'all don't know what Raul Reese sounds like, go he's treat yourself. Praise the Lord, man. <laughs> That's what he sounds like. And you'll be edified and, and get, oh, yeah. get to hear that, too. I, so. I learned, well, the Lord humbled me in all my education and taught me mm. how the Holy Spirit works through people who have a passion for him. And I learned passion in ministry, and I had a call. Went out to New Jersey in '84, planted a Bible study. By that, by then, all personal ambition was beaten out of me. I'm just gonna, if I get ten people to pour into them and make them the most well-loved, well-taught people, that was my goal. And um, the Lord just blessed, and you know, just uh, always taking some crazy step of faith. I'm driving my board crazy, you know, from going on the radio, <laughs> buying a radio station. You know, getting the Bridge Women's Center, you know, school and, uh, you know, a, a lot of ways to just impact the community and outreach. Uh, our big Bridge Fest, annual Bridge Fest, is, draws about 10,000 people to Jersey Shore. And wow. Tons of people respond to the gospel. And it's just a blessing. I'm, And then a lot of churches gone out from us. I mean, I've been doing this for a long time. It's uh, It'll be 40 years since we moved out to New Jersey next year. Wow. So it's our 40th Congratulations. Yeah, that's awesome. That is 40, that's awesome. Yeah. That is wonderful to hear about that. I, I There's a lot in there already we could talk to you about, but um, so let me just ask you the question. So you went out to Southern California to Calvary Chapel when? What time was that? Uh, that was, uh, I went out in 78, summer of 78. Okay. I, I joined, uh, I was on a campus crusade for Christ in Newport Beach. That's where I got introduced first to Costa Mesa with Chuck Smith and just visiting there. And then then came up and went to West Covina and knew I was home when I walked in. What was that like out there during that time, just those earlier years of Calvary Chapel? Zach and myself have grown up in Calvary Chapel, Mm -hmm. born and raised in Calvary Chapel. What was that like at that time? Well, you know, as a young intern watching the church go from 600 to 5,000 in a matter of a couple of years, (laughs) it was off the charts. (laughs) It was was like, well, first of all, every altar call Raw would have, I would be shaking my head like, you know, 
I don't know if these people know what they're doing, you know, but they'd come right. by the th hundreds. And then I would counsel them in the new believers room and it was, they were genuine encounters with God. And we'd of course explain. And then the next thing you know, they bring in all their friends. And it, there, there was not a time during those years that there wasn't at least 50 to 75 people coming forward. And then it wasn't just all emotion as they've been accused of. It was it was the real deal. They understood because I made sure in the in the new believers counseling room, I was my job. You, you understand what you did. Now you you didn't get saved by going forward. This is what it means, and I just explain it very clearly. And man, to see that genuine work in people's hearts mm -hmm. was amazing. Yeah, Raul Reese definitely seems to have the gift of evangelism. I would I would guess. Would you I, agree with that? Oh yeah, I mean, the, some people just have the ability just to. He, do it and people respond. You know, I, I would see sometimes when he would just give a message on something that had nothing to do with it, but his passion for, you know, listen, if you need Jesus, come down right now. You know, if you if you don't know where you go, you're going to hell, you know. If you, and he would just, everything wrong, right, that, that I would not do. It wouldn't fit right. me, but God just used him. And I, I learned at that point, it's not by might nor by power. It's by my spirit. Mm, that's and right. that's what we need to remember in ministry. Absolutely. Well, I mean, let's talk a little bit about your ministry now. So you already mentioned a couple things. I mean, the church, Calvary Chapel, Old Bridge, New Jersey. How are things going? What, how are things you going know, it's really been a blessing. We we took a crazy step of faith. We had bought 110 acres, you know, at one point uh, about 20, almost 20 years ago. And we had the big plan for a facility. And and um, and the Lord uh, just convicted me because a radio station came available. And we've been praying for a while. I was on uh, uh, Salem Network. You know, it was very expensive. We re had some great outreaches in New York City. It was a real hunger. People were coming to the church. Uh, but when a they had a lot of other stuff on there that just wasn't really edifying, in my opinion. And I wanted, I just longed for a station to go through the scriptures. A lot of stations were going music at that time. Mm -hmm. And uh, we wanted something that brings teaching. So uh, a station came available. We took a step of faith. But then my board wisely said, you know, you got this big project here over here and you got this radio network now that you're it's expanding in New York, you gotta pick one. And that was a hard decision, but I, I wasn't really. I said, Lord, you, I kind of got convicted, prepare your work in the field and afterward build your house. And I felt the field was still had a lot of work to do. So we uh, ended up selling that property and investing in a radio, a huge network that reaches about 7 million potentially. Wow. And, um, but uh, so just to, just to clarify for those that are listening, and I'll just confirm, you declined to purchase 110 acres. Well, we for had a building, purchased, or, or you backed but, out of that yes, or sold it. We sold it where you were going to build your new church building, so yeah. that you could purchase the the radio. Yeah, we we station. decided, you know what, I, I could build a sanctuary that seats a couple thousand and have this outreach there, but um, we could reach millions on the radio and and so where, also plant other churches. Where does Bridge FM reach? Well, we reach, uh, we broadcast from Manhattan, the only right. Christian station hmm. in the area that broadcasts from Manhattan on top, of the, <laughs> on top of the Trump Tower. And um, great working with the Trump Organization, by the way, compared to other places we've had to. But it reaches uh, all of like a lot of Brooklyn, um, Manhattan, clear, very signal in Manhattan. Uh, we also have a signal in Fort Lee uh, and Poughkeepsie and um, Orange County, New York. And so, and plus in our area in Old Bridge, and uh, also down in the shore, so it reaches about seven million potential. All right, yeah. We uh, when we started going on the radio here at the church, uh, there were some folks. Nobody really opposed it, but mm -hmm. there were some people that were like, "Are you really sure that radio is where we want to be investing our our time it's and great, our money?" It's a and, great question. You know, when when everything was going technologically, you you know, podcasts and this sort of thing. Um, 
they thought radio is going down. But the funniest thing is in the last uh, five years, radio listenership has actually gone up. It's still about 93% of people in America listen to radio. So you're always, it's just too easy to put the radio on when you get in your yep, car. Yep, right. yep, it's yep, already it's there. Just, I mean, when you try to think, well, what podcast do I want to go to? What do I listen to? What audio version? By the time I decide, I've already got there. <laughs> You're already listening to something that's intriguing exactly on the radio. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was my first job in Christian ministry was at Equip FM in Virginia working as a DJ there. And I remember we got this uh, marketing breakdown or as a, an article that had been written where um, somebody had put out the best way your small business can spend your advertising dollars is on local radio because that's still the best mm-hmm. way to reach people. You really do develop a family of listeners. And um, and then during the middle of COVID, we started a live call-in program uh, that now is national. I mean, it's all over the place. What's that called? It's called Bridge Bible Talk. You know, okay. a call-in program for all your Bible questions and Christians on the Christian life, questions on the Christian life. And that has proved to be one of the most wildly popular things. And I do that uh, four times a week, and then we we pick the best out of Monday through Thursday, and we air that on Friday. But I'm in the studio, 3 to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, mm-hmm. and we're answering questions on the fly. Wow, do you get, I bet you get a lot of interesting questions airing out in <laughs> Manhattan and New York. We, we, it's, well, we have a lot of people represented down here in the South because we're on awesome. a, a network um, of stations that, you know, a uh, friend of mine actually had a huge network in the South from Alabama, Georgia, all the way, Louisiana, Texas. And then, of course, we have Hawaii. We have the Northeast. We have all of our signal. We have another sister signal or station about our size in Philadelphia area in Baltimore. So it reaches um, in the Midwest. So it's it's been amazing. We get calls from all over. So let me ask Pastor Lloyd because I know, like in in general, I think we're all all of us are kind of big fans of radio for for church ministry. But I also feel like there's something specific to Calvary about that audio teaching ministry that feels like it's kind of part of our DNA. I mean, Tyler is talking about how it's it's at, at his guys' church in in Calvary Chapel Lynchburg. They've been doing the same thing. They've they've got a station that they're running now. I can remember you know being four and five years old, and my parents had one of those big old double tape deck boom boxes that mm. they would just drop tapes in. And I would listen to Pastor Chuck and Pastor Joe Foch, and it that the hearing of the word. And that being part of your constant diet and being able to then spread that out all over the country, even to places where your church couldn't reach, has kind of seemed to be like this part of the DNA of Calvary. What is there any reason why you think that is or what, what benefits we have from that? You know, I've, uh, I've often been tempted. In fact, we were on local cable for a while, and I discovered something when I was on cable. People recognized me wherever I went. And uh, that was kind of impressive. That was kind of cool. You know, wow, they're really, (laughs) they know. I mean, people see you. It became wildly attractive for many people to go TV. But here's the thing. TV is very impersonal. It's, um, you're distracted with the image and all the other things. You're half Mm. paying attention. But when you get in your car, you turn the radio on. And and radio people that are involved in radio realize you're not talking to this, hello, all radio audience out there. You talk to one person. You're talking to one person. And it's extremely personal. And I yeah. can't tell you that that that's what Chuck Smith tapes meant to me in the big beginning. That's what radio means to many people. God is having a conversation with them through the ministry you have, and it's powerful and it's mm. impactful. So to me, it's a lot more personal. Yeah. And, yeah. and that really is. It's it's it, the ear gate is huge. Hmm. And I think that maybe too, just the because it's the systematic teaching of the word, it's 
it's something people don't often get at their churches. Yes. Uh, and so they like, oh, this is great. You know, I love my pastor. I love my church. I love what he's teaching. But this here's a guy on the radio teaching through the book of Romans. So mm-hmm. I'm going to listen to that too. And, and that way, I'm you know, we're contributing to somebody else's ministry, which is Absolutely. great. I love that. And you know what? Again, it um, when people hear good exposition of the scripture and it's applicable to life today, yeah. um, it's very powerful and they do. You know, look, I, I can tell you a lot of churches have gone to expositional teaching because they see the fruit of it. People are wanting that. Um, I had a wild experience. I went back to my home church in, in Michigan. My grandmother was bragging to the pastor that I grew up in. He was a <laughs> preacher kind of a guy. And he'd be in this text and that text. He'd be all over the place. You never knew where he was going to be. And just a loud preacher. And he, he was intrigued at how quick our church had grown. And I told him, well, I went through the book of Ephesians in a couple of years, and the church tripled in that time. And it piqued his interest. So uh, I came back the next year, and he had started teaching through the scripture, and the church started growing like crazy. Hmm. Yeah, so they great. gave him another church in someplace else, but the board insisted whoever comes in, they wanted them to go through the scriptures. So I thought that was a great encouragement, and I think pastors, if they're listening, listen. You, you, you can sermonize, and, and this is the thing I tell people, I said, you know, there's a lot of pastors that teach from the Bible, but there's very few pastors that are teaching the Bible. And there's a right. difference. Mm-hmm. Teaching from the Bible, I'm the editor. I'm gonna pick and choose what I think the body needs. When I'm going through the scriptures, I can't avoid anything. I, let, I gotta let the text speak. And it's powerful. Yeah, mm. I remember when I was at one of our pastors' meetings and uh, locally, and they all know that we teach verse by verse. And some of the guys around here do, or they'll do a series, like they'll do a series through Philippians, and then they'll go back to what they were doing or something. And uh, I shared, I said, I got a couple of scriptures I want to share, and I did, I just read like two or three verses and kind of tied them together. And uh, Pastor Bo Johnson said, "Well, Tyler, it's just nice to know that you can, in fact, turn the pages of your Bible when you're preaching." <laughs> <laughs> he was giving me a hard time for for teaching verse by verse that uh-huh. way, but they're. Everybody, I don't. Well, people I don't can really be lazy see epi- verse by verse. Oh, they can sure. just read uh-huh. a verse, make a few comments, read a verse, make a few comments, and it's not that. You really do need to let the text breathe right. as a message that God has given. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I, I tell you, my dad tells stories when he went out to Lynchburg that he got a lot of like pushback on people that you know, they'll never work. People don't want to hear that. I want to. I've not really encountered much of that, and so I think there may have been a change. I'm sure Calvary Chapel is a big part of that. And to the contrary, We're, I think you know we've. I, Everybody that I talk to when they start coming to our church, well, I'm like, you know, how are you guys doing? And what, you know, and it's like, well, we heard you on the radio. We heard you on the radio or we saw you on mm-hmm. YouTube and you were teaching through the Bible and they're just so hungry. People are yeah. so hungry for We that. started listening to your teaching yes. in addition to our, our pastor. Right. But then we started realizing like, this is really where we want to be and what we want to do. Well, we and, saw during yeah. COVID, you know, there was a lot of visitors uh, because their churches were closed down. And mm-hmm. so they'd usually, I'd go up to new people I'd never met and I'd say, so how did you find us? And they says, well, our church closed and... And uh, so we started coming here, and I says, well, we're happy to provide a place uh, for you until your church opens. And they would usually say, we're not going back there. <laughs> they found the Word of God. And I really believe God used COVID to, uh, to really shake people up mm, yeah. and found out they were in places that weren't really biblical. And yeah. they started coming and growing. And, 
it gave us a whole new life and excitement and a lot of young people. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm starting ministry all over again. I'm watching, uh, I'm, I'm the old guy now. That's exciting. I got my Medicaid card, you know. <laughs> hey, I just got great. that this year. I'm, I'm a dyslexic 56. <laughs> <laughs> well, whenever people, I, I, I say I'll know that I'm no longer a young pastor and people stop asking me how old I am when I tell them what I do. <laughs> so are you? I'm a pastor. Really? How old are you? They don't do that for, you know, engineers and things. <laughs> or an engineer, how old? Like, so that that's that's really great though. And the teaching of the word is if you haven't had it, you don't know what you're missing. I'll just yeah. I'll put it like that way. And radio seems to be a great format for that. And I love hearing that that Calvary and then other Bible teaching is out in the and even in the big cities like that up in New York. And you know, down here in Alabama we kinda view those places as kind of like, well, just all we need is one good hurricane to sweep them off into the ocean like Atlantis, and then we'll all be better off. But there's people serving and ministering. And, yeah, New and York I'm sure is, there's New a lot of, has been tough. I mean, in, in the beginning, it seemed very slow, but God has been faithful. Yeah, huh. and I'm sure there are, like, you know, you talk about uh, the Bible says righteous Lot was vexed every day by the iniquity mm. of his city. And I'm not casting aspersions on anybody that lives in New York or anything, but there are godly people there that are like, what, are, what do we do now? And and they they need that encouragement and that teaching and the, the, the people need the gospel. These pressing times where we know, it's, we're looking around, is the world gone crazy? I mean, with this wokeness, with LGBTQIA+, with all of this stuff, what's happening is that the average person, the average person that's not a believer, is realizing this is crazy. Right, this is too And weird. they're looking for mm-hmm. somebody that's going to be bold enough to say it. And when they find somebody that's biblical and they're, they're, they're coming, we have a lot of non-believers coming to the church simply because they, they're, it's a little escape from this nonsense world. And now they find it's the gospel. It's kind of like, what were we doing before this? Where you, it, right, is it, right. I've seen people say, like, all right, well, this is nuts. What was the last thing we were doing? And a lot of folks that want to bring their kids to church, yep, you know, because yep, I want mm-hmm. my kids to at least be in church, even if I don't, you know, at least especially around here, uh, you might not get this up there so much, but uh, it's like, I don't have any opposition to the gospel or to the Bible. And I, there are even folks that even b- might very well believe intellectually, yeah, I believe that Jesus died on the cross, even though they're not born again. But because they're like, well, I, that's the story that I believe, and that's the book that I believe, and they'll get mad if you insult the church, and they'll send their kids to church, but they themselves need to need to find the Lord, of course, right? You know, you, know you believe God is one, but so do the demons. So I forget what introduction of which commentary it was, but uh, one particular author put it this way: that everybody needs to have a first-century conviction experience with God. In other words, mm-hmm. they've encountered Him, and when a person does, you know, they pass it on to their children. But what happens is. It's hard to pass conviction on. Yeah. You pass it to yeah, generally that's, goes that's to from good. conviction to belief. Yeah. So kids in a Christian home, well, I believe in Jesus. I mean, I have no reason not to believe in him as I was raised. But then they take that belief by the third generation. It goes from conviction to belief to opinion. And now it's just your opinion. That's my opinion. We all have an opinion. It's, hmm. just, it's no better, better than anybody else's opinion. Right. So um, I think that when that breaks down, and this is what you see in society today, there's a void and they're looking for people that have and can speak with conviction yeah mm. well that's a that's as good a transition as we're going to get uh, that's awesome but talking about wild times we're living in and and about the need to speak up and and speak to conviction you mentioned the bridge women's center and the reason pastor lloyd is down here with us is he's going to be speaking at the positive choices fundraiser gala which is the pregnancy center that we support which uh, is a pro-life ministry and uh, that's that's changing for our, for us in Alabama because of the way the laws are structured mercifully. But tell us a bit about the Bridge Women's Center and what it is and how you got involved. And 
Well, and I had an that. elder that uh, was, you know, came to me and he says, you know, I've just been really doing a lot of research in the pro-life field, and I, I want to, I want to start our pro-life ministry up here. And I said, well, well, of course we're pro-life. I mean, I, from the pulpit, I'm not, I'm not shy about this at all. Um, but he said, but I really want to mobilize people to actually get out there and, and do something. And I said, well, what do you have in mind? And I said, I, I, in the past, I remember some of the, the really heavy protests that got really rancorous because I don't think ministries separated the political um, aspect and the actual personal where women who feel they have no mm. other choice are showing up at these clinics. Sure. And they're running into these political protests, and that's just driving them faster in there, rather than really impacting them to think, just to pause for a minute and think of what they're doing. Right. So he just developed this whole thing of like, well, I want to train people to do sidewalk counseling. So for a whole couple of years, he was doing sidewalk counseling with the team. We saw some amazing results. Um, you know, I could tell you stories of just the one lady going in. She, she, he says, are, "Are you getting an abortion?" She looked down. She didn't want to look up. And he goes, why are you getting into board? Why are you doing this? And she said, well, we've got three kids. We live in one room uh, apartment. We have no room. I, I can't do anything. And uh, he said, well, don't get an abortion. We'll help you. And he got her information. She decided to keep the baby. The ladies in the church put a shower together for this woman. And when she was loaded with all these gifts, two weeks later, she, her her weight on low-income housing came through. And we helped her move. We got her set up. And she was going home in tears and said, I didn't know people like you existed. And that's yeah, what that's wow. how I envisioned pro-life ministry. Mm -hmm. So then we came across an organization that actually produced mobile units, uh, Save the Storks. I thought, well, why don't we get one? You so know, when you say a mobile unit, what, what do you mean by a that? A mobile medical unit that actually drives right outside these abortion clinics. Now, you guys are not... Uh, a sanctuary state like we are. In other words, these cl these clinics are like thriving, and they're bringing people even from out of state. You guys don't have that, but uh, unfortunately, you have this ubiquitous abortion pill, which anybody can get delivered to their door in 24 hours, and it terminates the life of that child in the womb. And um, even even um, even when we talk about conception, uh, that that actually has been redefined. In the Webster's Dictionary, they redefine the word conception to mean when the when the egg gets planted in the uterus, and the truth is, life begins at fertilization. Uh, if you ever get a chance to go to the uh, display in Kentucky at the um, at the Creation Museum, there's an amazing display that actually shows, and I actually verified this: when that egg and that sperm come together, there's a little flash of photon energy. Light. Yeah, I've seen that. It's yeah. uh, it's pretty profound the the technology they use to do that. It's really like striking, but there's so there's a, there's a little shell game there about when most people say conception, they mean that's what they mean is they the mean minute fertilization. it's a, a fertilization. But it's it's you see a lot of that in this world where we're gonna parse hairs and oh yeah conception, but not fertilization. Even though the average person saying conception includes that, right? It's and we're trying to say when when you know when the life comes alive then. Yeah, it's yeah. a it's a person. It's, it's a soul. And this is this this is what really struck me is that um, because I saw the rancorous debates and I and I said no, we can't do that. I saw the sidewalk counseling and then the opportunity to do this mobile thing. We uh, we went from reaching about twelve to fifteen babies a year, uh, saving that and, and a few ladies who received the Lord because it was evangelistic too. Uh, to about well, right now we're projected to have about four hundred and fifty babies a year in our two Gosh. units and about 120 
you know, professions of faith. So it has profoundly been when amazing. When you say 450 babies, you mean that mo- mothers that were on their way to get abortions see, that changed th- their minds? See, that's the thing. You know, pregnancy centers are, are amazing. They're reaching abortion vulnerable women, but abortion-minded women are at the door. Their, their baby's gonna be dead in an hour. They're not even thinking about any other option. They don't even know another option exists. And then we intercept them, and then we offer a free ultrasound. They come on board. 80% of the women keep their baby. Now, you don't have the clinics here, so your pregnancy centers are a great way to get the word out to people because now your, your real challenge here in this state is to make it visible so that women know there's another option. Right. And that it's not and not to be afraid because most of most of the people that are on the you know thing is either they they can't afford it, uh, they they already have too many children or they're too young they think and they, their life is over. And the wild thing is you come alongside them and you help them with other resources and that's where a pregnancy center comes in. They've got so many resources. Well, they would have a lot more resources if people gave generously to them, which is why I'm here. Because I I mean, I wanna see people catch that vision. And um, I can't describe to you when I was holding a two-day-old baby in my hands Mm. at a church service that was kept two days. The lady that we were ministering to, she was gonna give the child up for an adoption, but something happened. Um, Someone sent me a picture of the father of the child holding the baby, mm-hmm. and I said to somebody, they're not giving yeah, that child up right. now. Sure right. enough, they bonded that child, and now they're doing amazing. But I'm holding this little baby, and I'm wondering, could this be the next Moses? You know, God, when he gives life, man's word says, oh, they can't take care of it. Oh, it's gonna be worse. Oh, that what kind of a life will that child have? And that's just foolishness. God is wise. Mm-hmm. And not just that child, but I wonder, the thousands of people that child will impact and the thousands of people those thousands tens of thousands that child might impact we have no idea now some will say well they could also turn out to be bad well this is true in anything but god is a giver of life and where there's life there's hope yeah it always makes me so sad and and infuriating too when you hear people say things along the lines of so what you just want the child to be born poor as if born, being born into poverty is, is worse than you know, than dying and not well, existing at all. Get rid of it's, Abraham Lincoln. You know he was uh, born poor. I, well, how many wonderful, amazing people and yeah. and, the, and the the patronizing attitude? Because obviously the person saying that doesn't think that they themselves are poor because they they they're up above everybody else. And you know you this has always been kind of the way. Even going you know you want to go back to like Lenin and guys like that. Like this, those, these poor, ignorant, stupid, poor people. It just, you know, they shouldn't even have to live, but you know, and it's not, sometimes it's been said with vitriol, like their life are useless and they're pointless, but now it's like you, it's presented under this facade of compassion that, yeah. well, what if he's going to be born has to be on food stamps? And I'm, I sit sitting there like, I was on food stamps, like, you know, with my kids were on food stamps. Are you saying they shouldn't have been live. alive? And, yeah. and well, that's not what anybody intends to say, but, but like, that's what you're saying. But, you know? you know, the point is it's, it's a very clear picture. It's kind of like, you know, even creation evolution, you got man's word and you got God's word. And when even Christians look at this, like when I was, I, I shared the story, I was driving the unit that day, providing security. The intake people were getting the women over there and the young young couple from Guatemala came over, um, uh, illegal immigrants. 
he was her boyfriend. They'd taken an Uber to the clinic. She was, I think, 15. He was 17. Mm. And uh, so they came over, got on the unit. And when they came off, they were smiling ear to ear. And I heard, heard the story was that when they saw the baby on the screen, they saw the, heard the heartbeat, um, that young man, and by the way, men are the number one reason why women get abortions because they're not supportive. But when that young man, 80% uh, of the women who see that baby keep it, but 100% keep it when the man, the father of the child comes aboard. 100%. Mm. 100%. So, you, so you've never yeah. had a couple, a couple see never. the ultrasound and then go back into that abortion clinic? Never. Hmm. Wow. Because hmm. there's something that happens. Well, this young man, 17 years of age, said, he said to her, he said, you know, I know your parents won't let us get married right now, but I'm going to work two jobs. I'm going to, I'm going to save some money. We're going to, this is our family. That, that's a man. She yeah. Yeah, got yeah. so happy, this little girl, 15 years old. I mean, you know, someone would say, oh, what can happen? Well, I had a Christian woman when I shared this story at our church, came up and said, well, pastor, I, I, I'm a teacher and I just have a hard time. You know, how's that 15 year old going to, I mean, her whole life is over. And, and I'm thinking, what are you saying? She should have went through with the abortion. No, I'm not really saying that, but well, yeah, you are. You know, I didn't say that, mm -hmm. but the reality is we think through human wisdom and we make decisions like that. And then there's the there's there's the after effect when women choose abortion. Here's where pastors get they need to be encouraged. You've got to talk more about this. This is a very real situation. But so many pastors are afraid of hurting the feelings of women that have had abortions or parents who've pushed their kids into having abortions. Mm -hmm. They don't want to offend. And I say, you know, the reality is a lot of those women that, that are living with this grief and this pain and this shame, that's so powerful, they don't, want to, they don't want anybody to know they had an abortion. My own wife, you know, before we got married, before she was a Christian, she, uh, she had a couple of abortions. And that's what broke her. And she found herself at in Calvary Chapel and she was crying out to God and her boyfriend was not interested in the things of God at all. And we met and one thing led to another and eventually we got married. And she, she never told me until we got married. It was so painful for her. And I said, honey, I would yeah. have loved to share that burden with you. I Look, the, the women need to unburden themselves. And I've seen great stories of women that have been freed by just confessing their sin there's and and maybe they didn't know fully what they were doing we you'd be surprised you know how god frees them up so we also have post-abortive counseling as well we've done that here at the church we had a a, a group the abortion recovery of alabama which i to my experience has been a great ministry and they do uh, post-abortion care with uh counseling with these ladies and what i found was amazing that the one of the ladies that was there was what you would expect she was in her early to mid 20s i would expect she was single had a, a career and didn't want to do that and and she went to the county the other woman was probably i would guess in her 40s or 50s with teenage or grown children it's something she had done years ago and i think that's a great representation of having to carry that that with you and and we they told us that they had had a hard time finding a church to sponsor them to actually host the event, the the graduation. Which I didn't blink. I was like, "Are you?" Sh what I said was, "Are you sure you want to do it here?" Because I mean, it's kind of a small church and it's not a nice, it's not a, a, an aesthetically appealing church, maybe for something like that. And because I know you know people think about things like that. And like, well, no one else really wants to do it. And I was like, "That's really heartbreaking to you me." You know what? It look, I I can understand. My hesitation was because of the rancorous political expression of it. 
<clears throat> the signs, the, the gory beaten, the ripped apart children and, you know, murder, murder, murder. And this is what women have seen. And, and that is not the portrayal, I believe, that the Lord wants. From a political side, fine. But when it comes to women making that decision, if I were to ever hold a sign out in front of abortion clinic, it would be the same phrase that I told my sister years ago when she told me she was thinking of an abortion. And I said, well, why? You'd be a great mom. And that stuck hmm. with her. Hmm. And I'm going to steal that. She, uh, <laughs> my sign would be, you would make a great mom. Because they're thinking how hard it's going to be. They know it's not easy. They know it's going to be a tough road. And that's why they're making the easy choice. But if they made the tough choice, they would do what it takes to protect that child and raise that child and to find purpose. And there's what's missing, in, even in the church, is to see purpose in that which Maybe the world would not measure it up, but don't we get sized up all the time? You know, how handsome you are, you get sized up in the world. How intelligent you are, you get sized up. How strong you are, your personality. And if you don't have those things, then they kind of put you in the lower shelf. But God doesn't measure us that way. And no. if we could see ourselves from God's perspective and see those children, the potential that is there, it's amazing. Yeah, mm. yeah I think it's really it's important what you're talking about, Pastor Lloyd, because I feel like there's this, I see there being a division on a lot of issues like this in the church. I see some pastors who will, who, you know, like you said, maybe they will come in and they're, they're so gung-ho about these issues to the point that maybe sometimes the way that they choose to pursue them, it feels more political than pastoral. You, right. you kind of feel like, well, you're most excited when you're, you know, out in the street yelling at somebody or, or you know, parroting the same things that we see on cable news. And I think we all know that that's, you know, we, Tyler and I have talked about this all the time. That's not what we feel biblically is the best way to go about things. But I also feel that there are some pastors who they shrink back from these things because they say, well, I don't want to get. I don't want to be that. I don't want to get too political. Right. I don't want to get. I, I. You know, that's that's controversial. I don't want to. You know, I want to stick to preaching the gospel. And I, I, I've said those things before in my life as I've tried to develop these things in my mind and understand what the Lord would have us do. I, I've kind of gone with that line of, well, I believe in preaching the gospel. Now, I don't want to take away from that. I do believe that. I and we we've been talking about this even today. I just recently taught a, a, a quick sermon for the church on Philemon and. Paul believed in preaching the gospel to handle social issues. But what you're talking about is that when we teach the gospel, it also requires us to, in some way, be the hands and feet of Jesus and be out there loving the people that are impacted by these issues. How do you balance that for yourself and your congregation? You know, if we don't share the gospel with these women, then we are just a social organization. So we mm -hmm. that is our priority. And I'll tell you this, 10 years ago, if you would have asked me, that I could put pro-life and evangelism in the same sentence, I would have laughed at you. There's no way, considering the pro-life demonstrations that I saw. But now I understand it is one of the most evangelistic ministries we have. Hmm. So many women respond to the gospel, get plugged into church. This beautiful couple that took an abortion pill who called us immediately because they the hotline, we're on the hotline registry. We have a doctor that can prescribe the reversal pill. Um, within 20, within three hours they had a reversal pill in their hands from the time they called yeah and that's a good note for everybody to, to hear that that i think you said 70 percent of abortions now are through the, the, the and pill that's important here in this state because that's where they're going to get their abortions right. and 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 there is a recovery pill or a reversal, a reversal pill that yes. you can take that will if you take within 48 hours i believe that will undo what the first one did yep. so we need to just know that fact so that when you come across those situations, you, you are armed with that information. This was a backslidden um, couple. They were both married before, had children from previous marriages. 
She got pregnant and they panicked. We can't, we can't have any more children. She took the pill and then immediately realized what she did was wrong. So they called and uh, we got them connected. They, they got the pill reversal. They came in for a, a scan, an ultrasound, and uh, the baby was fine, still growing. Um, I got to witness that baby that came uh, to the church, the whole family, all the little kids. They couldn't have been ha happier. <clears throat> the man was like saying, more people need to know our story. He was not trying to hide what he did. He wanted everybody to know the mistake they made so that others wouldn't make that same mistake. And uh, they were so thankful. And they're both plugged into church. They're in a new believers ministry now. They're thriving. Their kids are growing in our children's church. It's evangelistic. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's a whole, somebody that comes to this situation, that's, there has a profound experience with the grace of God no, on kidding. day one. Yeah. That person's never going, well, they may struggle, but that, that guy's never going to wonder, well, what about this thing that I, can God forgive that? Or mm. what, you know, what about if I do this over here, can God forgive? It's like, well, if God can forgive this, he can forgive anything. And these people at the church who are willing to love us and take us in. And I, Zach and I did youth ministry together forever. Yeah. And we would have moments where I would open it up for the kids to publicly in, the, in a prayer meeting confess their sins. And I mean, kids would like throw the real deal out there yeah. about these things, but I never once saw anybody get ostracized or pushed to the side. What you'd get is you'd get a bunch of people coming around and hugging on them. And I, I have an eating disorder. I've been cutting myself. I watch pornography and, and just to watch the body of Christ come around them. And right. that's what happens. And then for those of you that might be listening that are, have had abortions or you paid for an abortion or you, you stepped out while your girlfriend took care of your, or, uh, had an abortion when you should have been there there's grace and forgiveness for you like you there is grace that jesus died on the cross for mm. and we as a church we need to not be afraid jesus certainly wasn't to be seen as approving the things that we're offering grace for jesus mm. would spend time with with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes we kind of forget that that jesus had a, a bunch of harlots following him around <laughs> like and they didn't like that about him but jesus was not of course soliciting these prostitutes or making money with the tax collectors he was giving them the gospel right. and they he was not worried about how it would be perceived because he's like i don't approve what they do you might think that i do but they need this grace more than i need your approval and that's that's got to be our attitude is well you can't uh let somebody testify about abortion in church people are going to think that we're okay with abortion and it's like but we're not and everybody knows that we're not and you, you we can't be intimidated by that attitude or that threat because it's you you will that is such a profound demonstration of grace to the body, both of grace for forgiveness, but also grace of how we treat one another. That's so, absolutely. This yeah. this is a great ministry. I, I would have never imagined it to be so profoundly impacting in families. And and let me say this. People say, well, isn't that very expensive? I mean, you have to have a doctor's license on there. you got to have a nurse, an ultrasound tech. The unit itself is very expensive. And I would say, first off, it's not cheap. It's very expensive. It costs us nothing from our church budget because there's a lot of people out there passionate about this that really, maybe they have it in their past. Uh, uh, people that go to these pro-life seminars and they wanna find ministries rescuing babies. We had people donate to us just as tests, you know, to see what you're gonna do with it. And when they saw the numbers coming in of babies rescued and, and lives being saved, they, they upped their donations and mm. the, the resources were there. But here's the thing, in your state here with the change, you don't have the rancorous stuff that we have to contend with in New Jersey and the and the drug companies that are literally putting ads out directly against pregnancy centers and what we're doing. 
but you have a different, a unique situation. And I think a lot of the resources, if, if people have been donating to pro-life, stop doing it because, well, Roe v. Wade solved it. It, it didn't. Uh, the abortion pill is huge. And that same amount of resource that might have been helping people come away from the clinic now needs to be marketing in a way where you need to let people know of the options. We're and still there to help. I want to right. I want to, I want to see a billboard. Someone that's listening in here in Alabama, get a billboard up there saying tested positive question mark positive choices. Boom. You know, free ultrasound, Let's free go. testing yeah, will come along. Yeah. Someone's got to build that billboard well, and the, put the, it around town. The common accusation that that pro-lifers get is you're not pro-life, you're just anti-abortion. Mm. And it's it's a straw man. It's ridiculous. And well, well how, why don't you adopt babies? Never mind that Christians we adopt do. like all the babies <laughs> yeah. and yeah, are yeah. all the foster parents, right? Right. But we need to make sure that that's not true of us mm. because right. we, we are pro life ministry means not just preventing abortion. Pro life ministry means we are still serving these people, these yes. girls, these families, the, these kids that have no other recourse. That need hasn't gone away. Bam. We've eliminated the bad option, yes. but we need to. Now is the time to be strengthening the good option. And and that, yes, it's great that Roe v. Wade was overturned, and we should celebrate that all the time. Yeah. But man, th- this isn't over. No. If it's over, that's a great time for somebody to come in and say, "See, they never cared about you." You know, which if is people knew true. that it's not about making abortion illegal as much as it's making abortion unthinkable. Right. Mm-hmm. And pro-life isn't just they'll accuse us. You're not pro-life. You're pro-birth. No, when you're pro-life, you really are there for the woman, and you understand that you know you're not giving her a few diapers and saying good luck with it. Hope it works out. You're coming alongside her. In fact. Um, when we have showers for these women that keep their babies and we have all kinds of resources we pour in them, um, we also want a relationship with them. We want to get them plugged into church. We want to encourage them to make some better life choices. We'll pull them into some retreat or some area or we'll, we'll give them some opportunities you know, in our thrift store to, to work and provide and give some dignity. There's all kinds of things that people pool together to bring that family in. And man, that's so rewarding. So rewarding. What a wonderful example, too, of, you you know, this was one of the reasons why this ministry was on, Tyler, I know it was on your heart from very early on here at the church. We were wondering, how can we do something about this? How can we get involved? One of the reasons is we always said, look, these are the things that we get upset about online. And I'm not saying, I'm saying we, like I, I get online and I see these things that you, it just makes you, you're so angry and you're so heartbroken about these things. And, and it's so easy for that to be as far as it goes. You know, just how dare they and what is going on with this world? Yeah, and, and you kind of virtue signal like I'm mad. Yeah. And, you know, being, I used to say being a Christian is not just being mad about all the right things. Right. <laughs> yes, and, yes. And, and, you know, and you say the state of the family and the state of the this. and the, Well, what better way to actually do something about that than what you're describing with this? I just come back to that story of the, the young man, and the young woman, like you, you, there in that moment, the Lord is welding a family together under under Jesus Christ. And the church gets to be a part of that. There's no better way for you to be on the front lines of fixing the state of the family in our country sure. than, than to be there with those people, helping them realize that it's possible to obey the Lord and be a family. And and what a you know how many of us have seen this happen in our churches that you see the Lord just grab some family and the ripple effects that happen from that are going to keep going. You know, th- there's a little rabbit trail maybe we can go on. You know, Zach, I know you're familiar with this, Pastor Lloyd. I don't know if you would be so much, but you know, if you want to talk about what's commonly called the manosphere online where you talk <laughs> yeah. about you know yeah. guys like Andrew Tate or Fresh and Fit or the whatever podcast and these guys that talk a lot about how 
you know, usually from a very male perspective, it's, you know, that the, the way that the sexual sexuality is being handled in America and in the West is just messed up and it's, it's uh, unfairly leveraged against men and women are too promiscuous and, you know, men are getting left behind and all, all that. Uh, one of the things that's often missed in that is the call to what the ideal is. Right. And, and what people forget is when you separate sex from family mm. and from fatherhood and from procreation, just basically enough, then, you know, you... We have these these podcasts that go on and it's like they have so much good to say, but like they don't make the final solution where they're like, yeah, you guys need to stop being so promiscuous. It's not fair. It's not right. And you're shaming yourselves. But then you can't also come over here and say, and it's just a man's way to sleep around. And, and that's just yeah. what men do. It's like, no, 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 no. But you you tell that story. I love that because that's that's a boy becoming a man right. in that in that van, right? In that, that mobile unit. And that's what, what fatherhood is supposed to do to you is, and, and this is back when people would get married much younger. It mm. was, it wasn't wait until you get grown up and then you get married. And that's kind of the, the advice that's often given in that world is go make your money, go get your life. Cause you'll never be able to attract the kind of woman you want until you have a bunch of money anyway. When the way the Lord seemed to have set it up is more along the lines of this process will grow you up. Yes. You being yeah. together, holding a little you in your arms right. and you're like, man, I still play video games. I'm supposed, <laughs> yeah. to, I'm supposed to take care of this little guy. Yeah. And that That's so important. And, and it's all of a unit. It can't just be, I mean, Zach, you know I mean, about this. You can't just take it apart piecemeal. No. You have to have the and, whole thing in place. And that's the thing that I think, this is why I, I want to encourage, maybe if you're listening and you, this stuff intimidates you and you're a pastor and you're like, you, or you're involved in a ministry and you're like, oh, how could we do this? Like, you, you can't, you have no option to not do this or something like this in your church. And why am I saying that? Well, because Tyler, I know you and I have found all the time and Pastor Lloyd, I'm sure you, you would you would go along with this. Every time that you meet people where they're at in the middle of the mess that sin is making in their life, the Lord uses it and it totally changes their life, the lives of people around you. You can't afford to just look the other way and say, ah, that's messy, I'd better not. Do you remember when we did, we used to do, again, we used to do youth ministry and, and we did, one time the, the Lord just gave us this idea. I said, what if we do a conference for the kids about biblical masculinity and femininity? And we did, you know, we did breakouts, we did workshops, and we thought, oh, this will be fun. That we'll was see. so much fun, man. Uh, yeah, we I said, we'll see. We'll, it'll, it'll be whatever. We're, you know, we'll just try it. The, I'll never forget, 15 minutes after we did a breakout with just the guys, we did like, these single gender breakouts, and I did a breakout with just the guys, and I had kids coming up to me that I knew their dad was in the picture, their family's broken up, and they're coming up to me asking, and I said, we'll answer some questions. We answered some questions, and afterwards, all the guys came up to me, and the guys asked me, how do I shave? How do you, you know, how, how do you tie a tie? How do you, how do you, you know, ask a girl out? What about, you know, what about jobs and how do, and, and like. We did these, a handshake practice. Remember that? Yes. We did and, handshake and, practice and like, with all the boys. And I, I remember because I was at the time, I think we were, we were married and I, I, I literally can't wait, like just wanting to cry. And you realize that you were being able to be a part of these young guys growing up in life and in the, in the Lord and seeing that there was a way to be a godly Christian man, that there was a way to be a godly Christian woman. Well, that you, you can't, like you said, you can't have that apart from, and here's a way to have a godly Christian family. And if just because your life is in a place where you haven't had that perfect, you know, road to that, that doesn't mean the Lord's done with you. And certainly the church is not done with you. And so what a wonderful way to step into those messes that the enemy makes and be able to be part of just grace and the Lord building something. And, and the lie of abortion, and I, Pastor Lloyd, I know you hear this all the time, you must, that is 
it's always about well the people that are impoverished or the people that are you know mm. don't have anything or the the life of the mother and what about incest and what about rape and that's where the conversation always goes to the extremes but really uh, to not not to put any shame on the people that actually deal with this but as, where the discourse is had about why this ought to stay legal and be legal and all the time it, so much for you know safe legal and rare like that's well well over right what it essentially amounts to is we want to be able to have sex whenever and however we want with no consequences yeah. And the when that the culture that builds that fractures because you're you're missing out on the purpose for all the these things that the Lord gave us yeah. in the first women, place. Women women have been deceived in this one too. The reality is, my grandmother used to have a saying: "Why buy the cow when you can get the milk for free? Mm-hmm. Why make a commitment to marriage when you can be satisfied?" And of course, this isn't just in sex as well as pornography and self and self pleasing. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the reality is God has given man, man this incredible sexual drive and energy that needs to be channeled. And, and we used to be that if you wanted to have a fulfillment in that area of your life, you had to become education. You had to get your education right. so that you could get employment so that you could then provide for a wife. Mm-hmm. And then you had to learn how to treat a woman and respect. And you had to earn the privilege of having that oxytocin flood in your brain while you're married. Right. Well, that always gave a great foundation for family and the security. And we have lost that now uh, where men can please themselves and they don't need to be married. They can be with their girlfriend. They don't need to get married. They don't need to make a commitment. They can still be boys. Mm-hmm. And, th- th- and that's the problem right now. Boys aren't growing up. I talked to my grandson, he's uh, 17, he's almost 17. And I said, you know, you're only three years away from when your grandmother got married to me. And I said, I think it's about time you think about what it means to be a man. And I love what you're talking about, those little things, how to look somebody in the eye when you're shaking their hand, yeah. how, to, how to present yourself. Uh, these are things that boys need to learn. They should be learning it from their fathers. Yeah. Uh, when there's a fatherlessness, you know, then the church can step in. Mm. But Right, that, that, that conference that we did, it was, we had so much fun. We ended up doing, um, my wife led a session for the boys only, I led a session for the girls only, and then we would <laughs> yeah, swap uh, because we wanted, we, we did these, call them, called them AMAs it's from Reddit and ask me anything. Like, you guys can ask me any question about boys or men or how we think or the way things go. Same thing for the, and we just had the best time. But I mean, the questions that were being asked and the answers they were getting, and we came back and uh, so many of the girls, I'll use the girls as an example. We heard this too, but they were asking my wife, can you, can we have an event where you teach us how to bake cookies? Can you have an event where you show us how to stitch and sew and make quilts and how to, uh, like seriously. Very based, we, very we, trad. Right, very based. <laughs> yeah. We come back and one of the moms came up to me and she was like, you know, what's her name came back and she wants to learn how to cook. And I was like, yeah, she does. She goes, I never thought kids today wanted to learn those things. Mm. And dads come to like, yeah, he's, he's came back and he asked me to, you know, learn how to change the oil in the car. And he's like, I didn't think he wanted to, he just wanted to sit there and play his video game. So there's a sense too of its, its expectations being put on mm. these, these, this next generation. And I wasn't there, but from what I'm able to tell, there was a great, you know, youth rebellion in the, you know, the 60s, 70s, 80s, like, no, what, you can't tell me anything, you know, even in like the the 90s with the whole grunge thing, like mm-hmm. the rebellious Bart Simpson kind of thing, that's over. Or there's other kinds of rebellion, but like people are now, they go online and they Google how to do things and that's they right. find dads online and they find moms right. online. And there's, it's, 
the church, this is where the church should live. And the abortion is all a part of this mm -hmm. because it's a symptom of the same thing where you you remove God's design for what a family should be, a marriage should be, uh, parenthood should be. And you wonder, well, wait a minute, why are, why are the men not growing up? And you just kind of said it like the engine that God made <laughs> to yeah. help them grow up has been removed. That's and right. We I'm sometimes out of compassion. Well, they just there's they, we were so young and they shouldn't be have to do that when they're so young. And it's like, yeah, they should because this is what's that's the adventure. They need that just mm. like you needed. That. You got thirty year old young men living in the basement of their parents' house playing video games, and parents enabling them. They pretty mm -hmm. much handicap their boy when they do that. Yes. I basically told parents, I said, when he's eighteen, you got to have a vehicle for him to get out the house. And he's got to make it on his own. And um, I, I love this thought. I, I had a guy on our board years ago who made it big in the financial world in D.C. And he was handling clients' money who were worth $250 million. It was crazy. But he said all those clients, their kids were a mess. You know, they had so much money, they could get whatever they want, and their lives were ruined. He said there was one exception, one one guy worth a couple hundred million dollars. Um, he... Um, he told his children, he goes, I'm not going to give you a penny for college. I will not deprive you of the privilege of making it on your own. And they all became successful where all these other kids were on drugs and rehab, mm -hmm. you know, messed up, divorced three or four times. But his kids, you know, successful, uh, working hard, raising families. And the difference is, is that we men need to learn how to be a man. Yeah. And that is one of the big issues in regard to why there's such an abortion crisis because they're not being men. And you know what? I was one of those jerks. When I got my girlfriend pregnant, or at least she told me she was pregnant, and I told her this. This was the classic line. This is what we do at 17. Well, what are you going to do about it? It's like, it's your problem, and yeah. I can't have a kid. And so two weeks later, she said it was a false alarm. And to this day, I don't know if she was just telling me that because she didn't want to lose me, hmm. or whether she really, and she had, or she had an abortion. I don't know. But the point is, um, that is the callousness of a self-centered young man. And I was at that age. I didn't have a dad. But uh, thankfully, by the mercy of God, God gave me some spiritual mentors. And you Yeah, know. that's what the church is for. Mm. And, you know, we, we talk a lot about society and how the village is gone, right? But that's what the church is. That's you right. get older people and younger people together. And they all, you know, I, I'll tell our folks all the time, you know, Older folks, don't be afraid to talk to these young guys. Like, mm -hmm. don't. Well, they don't want to hear it. Who cares? They, they. they <laughs> first of all, they do. Yeah. And second of all, they need to hear it. And uh, yeah, this, this even is, transmits to even the racial issue because oh, you know sure. we think of uh, the, the battle, or the, the racial divide. And I, I told our congregation, we have a mix of everyone from New York. I said, you know, we can show the world how to be a family. Yeah. I said, the reality yeah, yeah. is, it's not so much of a racial issue as it is a lazy issue. I said, the truth is that it's a lot easier to hang out with people just like you. Yeah. And that's what typically we do. And we see that in schools, people getting clicks, they hang out with people just like them. I said, because they do that, they don't know how to relate with other people. So they get in their little isolated group. So we always as a church go, look, this is a time to step outside your comfort zone. You know, get to know somebody from a different ethnic background. Mm -hmm. I believe there's only one race. It's the human yeah, race. Right, right. <laughs> but get get somebody from another background or 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 economic strata and and develop friendships. In fact, my ideal home group. You got an older couple. You got you know a college student. You got a young family. You've got somebody that came out of prison. You've got somebody from totally different ethnic background. And man, the things you learn from people that are different from you. Right. This is where you learn how to love. When you just get a group of just like you, 
you're just loving yourself because they're just like you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I said, you don't need, yeah. I tell people, I said, if you're hanging around people just like you, believe me, you do not need more you. Right. You need to step, step out and love. That's why I found that a lot of the people that speak the loudest on the racial issue are sometimes the people that are the most racially isolated. It's yes. like the people that, you know, for example, I'll just pick on them. You know, Portland and Seattle <laughs> were the ones that were burning the city down be, during the, the Black Lives Matter riots. And they're like some of the whitest cities in the in the country. And I think that that stems from some of that because you're like, you you might have your own guilt and your own, I don't, oh man, I don't know anybody. That's what it What's is. the rest of the people doing? And, and you know, around here, we, we've got our issues and our struggles, but it's like Birmingham is 50-50, black and white. Yeah. And then, you know, other races as well, but mostly just black and white. And, you know, there, there's tension, but people just kind of, you have to get along. If you're going to live here, you're going to have to figure it out. You're going to yes. have a neighborhood with different kinds of people. Mm-hmm. You're going to work with different kinds of people. You're going to grocery shop with different kinds of people. Look, I'm and not going to minimize really the past and the evil of slavery. I'm not going to minimize the past of Jim Crow. I'm not going to minimize any of that stuff because mm-hmm. that was all egregiously wrong. Sure. But we are in a different era now where we can, as a church, show people how to love yeah. uh, right. God's people of all different shades because... We're, yeah. we're all brown, just different shades. Yeah, let's just <laughs> let's show them, right? That's what we do. We don't right. need, I like to say, we don't need somebody else to show us how to love. So mm. to bring it back here for just a couple more minutes to the, the abortion thing, uh, you, you mentioned uh, some of the opposition that y'all have faced up there. Uh, can you talk to us a little bit about that? You mentioned even the drug companies, but, you know, you're up, do you do a lot of, first of all, do you do a lot of your ministry in New York City or is it down in Jersey? We uh, don't have, we're, we're working on getting some expression in New York City. We need to have okay. separate meet separate things but there are certain laws look there's a lot of training you know you have to go through uh people that do the sidewalk counseling that is they meet the people just before they go in the clinic and get them over on the bus there's like a six hour training to make the most of six seconds Hmm. that's about the length of time you have before they go in the clinic and um there's a lot of investment of time and but we have we had our unit hijacked at one point down in trenton where uh, our driver walked away for a little bit to get some coffee and a guy saw a thing running, he jumped in and he started taking off, not knowing there was a woman being scanned in the back. Oh my goodness. And uh, she ended up keeping her baby, by the way. It was like, wow, it was amazing. But uh, <laughs> as soon as he heard the screams and realized there were people in there, he pulled over and then jumped out because he didn't want to get caught for kidnapping. But um, that was kind <laughs> wow. of a little bit of what a scare. A we learned some things on that. It's needful for security. Stay in the car. <laughs> um, we, we There's a particular town that that took pictures of our unit and they they wrote this whole article in their town about these uh, fake abortion clinics and and they never bothered to ask us about what we did who we were but they just took all of their talking points from planned parenthood and yeah. tip, and typically that's what media does it's like it's more propaganda than anything you know you can tell by the way it's read, written that there's no alternative view here it's like just you know the attack but you know what? The point is you just keep loving people and keep doing it. Um, you know, yeah. here, here's the thing. There's no, there's no amount of guilt. When they get on the unit and they see that baby on the screen, they find it, and then the heartbeat comes through, all the nurse says, so what are you thinking? And the tears start flowing. This is my baby. You know, it's amazing, the impact. Yeah. Uh, that really makes a difference. It really yeah, makes a difference. that's wonderful. And it, you know, even as you, <laughs> the way they phrase fake abortion clinic, it's it's silly. I mean, that you're not tricking anybody. And if somebody really wanted an abortion, you know, if you find that this place doesn't actually give abortions, you'd just get up and you'd leave. Like you'd go find another one. Oh, but I but, got that line here in town. Yeah, somebody well, said that to we, you. Yeah, well, we, oh, we, this we, is one of those fake. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I was really surprised, actually, because, again, like you've mentioned, there's a big difference, I think, Pastor Lloyd, in some ways, in some ways, between where you guys are doing this sort of ministry and the things that we encounter here. Because, again, here in Alabama, there's different differing culture things, differing, you know, le- legalities. But we, we were passing out flyers for an event that Positive Choices was doing. I went to a business. I had my little daughter with me. You know, she was barely old enough to even understand what was going on with this conversation i handed this gentleman a flyer it's a business that i'd been before and they had posted flyers for us before so i said you know would you mind putting this up and he said what is it he took a look at it and he said he all but threw it you know back in my face and he gets this terrible look on his face and he said this is one of those you know this is one of those things that lies to young women and tells them that they you know offer a portion he said get this out he said some stuff to me and he uh and then i took my little daughter and you know walked out of the the shop and she goes daddy he was very mad i said yes he was um and what i what i took away from that was amazing is you could see in a moment that he switched from an interaction that we were having to like you said a programmed message that he'd been handed from somewhere Right. right You weren't talking anymore. No, we weren't talking anymore. He was just spitting out this programmed thing that he'd been told, this is what this is. Now, he didn't have any idea. First of all, that's not what Positive Choices does. There's no, they're very clear in all their messaging. I've looked at it. There's no subterfuge here. There's no big conspiracy. So he just made a bunch of assumptions. But what really made me sad was the intense anger that just, it was an instant reaction from him. And and, and it wasn't something I was expecting because, again, most folks down here are pretty you know, they're pretty okay with what we're doing. Even, you know, even right. if they're pro-choice, they're going right. to be like, yeah, but you know what? I, I appreciate what y'all are doing. Sure. It's, it was, it that's was usually wild. what you're here. You know, I, I yeah. would respond to somebody like that to say, um, listen, if if I thought or if I was doing what you think I'm doing, I'd be as angry as you two hmm. because no one should ever be lied to, put on the spot. Right, right. Don't assume that's what we do. Don't assume that's what we do because I would agree with you. I'd be angry too. But your anger at us right now, you may not understand what we really do. I would be happy to inform you what we do if you're willing to listen. But, you know, those are hard people. I mean, I, I like to take that energy they have and actually compliment them on their passion for what they think is right, but then correct them in any area they're wrong. Well, if you see, like, these men on the street things, which I can only watch so many of these before I start, you know, <laughs> kind of like you have an argument with yourself in the shower. Yeah, like, yeah. if I was there, here's what I would do. But, the, like, they all say the same four or five things, yeah, yeah, yeah. and they all yeah. think that they're – Winning, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, but like, like we've never heard that one before, mm-hmm. and and this happens in all sorts of domains, not just related to abortion, but it's amazing how it kind of is transitioning to now from at least for y'all where it says, not you, you know, we want the right to offer abortions, to where now it's like you have to offer an abortion or you're not acting in good faith, mm-hmm. but which is so bizarre and so strange that when you think of it that way, but. Uh, you know, like there, there's a lot of money involved in that. There's a lot of corruption involved in that, I'm sure, too. Um, so, you know, the reality is you got a young woman with a tough choice to make. She, she's afraid. Um, she's told by these people who, quote, unquote, empower women, oh, your life is over. Oh, you can't do this. You can't do this. Oh, you can't do this. You're too young. You can't, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't. And we come along and say, huh. no, you can. Yeah. We'll be here to help you and encourage you. And one day you're going to look back and see what God did with that little life, and you're going to be so happy. There's going to be others that will have a world of regret for that life that they know was there, and they terminated it. And um, I want to help women not make that mistake, uh, because I care about the women, not just the baby. And there's a, there's a war on a whole other thing we could talk about, on just there's a war on guilt. Like, no one should ever feel guilty for anything. Because even if you bring up, like, 
well, but what about these poor people that go through this? Well, the only reason they feel guilty is because you made them feel guilty. That, that, that's what they think. It's, but it's so bizarre. And right, there's no resemblance to the, what we actually do. The cool you know? thing is if people heard this, they might not know that of the women who keep their baby, unsolicited, they send us their pictures of their baby, mm-hmm. profusely thanking us. I've got hundreds of pictures of babies from families that were saying you were there at a point in our life where we were just about ready to make the biggest mistake of our life. Look at our little beautiful baby that's that's here because of you. Thank you for being there. They are elated that we were in the gap. And uh, that, that tells you that they, they felt they had no choice. We gave them a choice. They're thankful. We're really pro-choice because the abortion clinics are not. They've got one thing in mind, get money off of your sorrow or your mistakes, and they don't really care about you. Now, Let's go. There may be some that do because they think they're doing right. Like an Abby Johnson, she thought she was doing something good until she actually saw an abortion, and she saw that baby trying to live, you know, escape that 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 instrument that was trying to kill it, and that really changed her life because she saw. Yeah, I remember that. So that let's follow testimony. the science. They always say follow the science. Follow that <laughs> yeah. science. Yeah, well, we had a whole podcast on that already, yes, you know, the, <laughs> the science versus the science. Uh, so as we kind of bring this section of the conversation to a close here, you know, we have our fundraiser tonight. Um, but I just, my call to, as a pastor is, is churches, it, it's great that you're sympathetic with these kinds of ministries, but I really would encourage you and challenge you to get involved Find a way to serve and support. Yeah. I mean, just about every pregnancy center in America can be hard up for money uh, and for volunteers and for for just the need for help. And I'll tell you, I, I will be so proud that for the rest of my life, I'll be able to say we were doing pro-life ministry before Roe versus Wade was overturned. Because mm-hmm. as far as I'm concerned, this is on the level of combating slavery. And I mean, no disrespect to anybody that takes that personally, but... The church were they were the abolitionists. They were out in the front yep. taking it on the chin right. until the culture changed and there was a war and all the rest. You know the story. But it's like if you could go back then and be a pastor, knowing what you know now, wouldn't you just be desperate to be on the front lines of the abolition movement, knowing what God was going to do? Right. It's I feel like it's the same thing for us. It's like if you could go back in time to, you know, having a church in, in twenty fifteen to about twenty twenty, wouldn't you want to be on the front lines of this to be able to see this evil begin to be washed away. And we can get real pessimistic and me too, but you know, the Lord is not done until we've been called home. The Lord is not done. And when I was at Liberty, Zach, you went to Liberty too. They talk, which of course very pro-life group there too. But Jerry Falwell used to often talk about one of the things that was in a, a good appropriate goal for a Christian man was to get a good job, make a ton of money. And then he would say, finance the kingdom. And I used to think that was so crass and I was so, you know, I was, I was, 18, I knew everything. But then you get, like, you're talking about <laughs> yeah. these people that have the ability to write these checks and supply the needs that have the spiritual gift of giving, which is is biblical, that if you're out there and you're one of those people, how do I help? Then maybe consider financing the kingdom where you live and, and helping the people that are doing a good job yeah, with right. it. So, well, let's uh, let's pivot here just for our, our remaining time and uh Pastor Lloyd, you serve on the, uh, I guess it's called the Leadership Council for the Calvary Chapel Association. Is yeah. that right? Mm-hmm. So uh, tell us a little bit about what that in, what that entails, what that involves, and uh, kind of where, where things stand for us as a, as a movement right now. And uh, maybe we'll, we'll have this discussion until we come to the end of our time. Well, you know, I, I'm, if, if I could have predicted after Chuck Smith passed the, what would have happened to the Calvary Chapel movement, I would have thought 
honestly would have splintered in a dozen different ways. You know, Horizon, Harvest, hmm. Calvary, you know, this group, that group. Because Chunk had a way of unifying a lot of us together that had different takes on the way ministry should be done. And um, But one thing was certain, the distinctives of the Word of God, dependence on the Spirit, that would have stood out. Well, the amazing thing is Chuck had such an influence without control. So he didn't control the movement, he, but he influenced it. And to me, that's like in a marriage, a husband who tries to control his wife, um, he's going to lose influence. But if he has influence, he doesn't need to control. And I believe that Chuck modeled that. So I, I believe that the council decided this is how we wanted to do this. Instead of being a central office in which we become a denomination and we're dictating to the rest of the group how mm. it should be, we want to set the example. And so our conferences usually are uh, the main conference, the international conference, is really us just ministering the word, enjoying fellowship. This is what we are. It's a fellowship of churches. We have commonality in those things that Chuck modeled for us. But there are, you know, some of the younger guys that, that you know, I, I put them in the level of, you know, they didn't have the first century conviction. They, they're the children of the first century conviction and they have belief, but they, and, and so it's interesting because then you get so focused on belief and theology and all that sort of thing, you can also lose sight of that first second, that first century or that, that first generation conviction. So this next generation, you know, the challenge is just they want to, they want to talk and argue theology but there's something missing. And by the time it gets to that third generation, it's just gonna be kaput, you know, opinion. So what our goal is, is to keep modeling, you know, the impact. And what's encouraging to me is that Calvary Chapel Association, since Chuck passed, there are over a thousand new Calvary chapels. Hmm. So God has one of them. multiplied yeah, yeah. it. Yeah. He's multiplied it and uh, it's still there. So there was the little bit of a skirmish. There was the, the, the split. I don't know if you can call it a split. Eh, kind of. A splinter. Yeah. There have been people that have you know, decided to follow you know, the, 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 the church that was turned over to you know, Chuck Smith's relative. But it's, um, as a modeling of ministry, it's not, the church itself is dried up. But yet God is blessing his word. He's blessing the principles that we got from Chuck. And they're not, they're biblical. I mean, who would have thought that let's just teach through the scriptures, that that would make a difference. So all of this to say is that the council is there and how we're set up as an organization is to be an example and serve what I would say the regions. So there's lots of different regions where churches are growing. There's there's all over the world, you know, Africa, mm -hmm. there's South America, Europe. In fact, just in the last year, I've been to each one of those regions, meeting with some regional leaders and seeing God's continuing the work. Um, here in the states, there's a number of regions, and so you've got you're in we your region, deep you're, south region. You're in the deep south Pastor area. Mm -hmm. You guys have your own conference, and and you guys are really overseeing this region. This is your region, so that that to us is the way it should be: decentralized leadership. We'll we're going to continue to when these guys that are in their 70s and getting close to 80s on the council. Uh, we've already got a whole generation, probably I think about four or five other guys right now in their 40s and 50s that are coming on. And uh, that's what they were going to do. It's not going to be, there's no about exercising control. The only decision power we really have is, and even the regions decide who's going to be a Calvary or not, not not the organization, not CCA. We pick We pick who's going to, we, we pick the, the, every two years we have the international conference. That's what we do. We uh, we pick the speakers for that. We decide the theme for that, 
and we continue to try to encourage the regions. And my my ideal setup is that, you know, a guy wants to be a Calvary. So first thing he should do is where, wherever he is, he should find the nearest couple of Calvaries. Make, have a lunch appointment with the guy, sit down and say, hey, we're praying about starting something over here. And, and um, he can't decide whether to be a Calvary without, in a way, they're okay with it. In other words, they're gonna say to the regional leader, hey, this guy's a good guy, you know, let him come, let him on. And we've, we've met with him, we've asked him questions. There, there's a fellowship there, we know he's a good guy, he's gotta come, he understands what Calvary is. He's, you know, we've given the book on the distinctives. In other words, they're doing it to help and encourage not not ter- territorial. I mean, if someone wants to plant five minutes from another Calvary, that would be frowned <laughs> upon. It's like, what, what's, yeah. what's the point? Are you trying to like feed off of the other one? No, you want to go into a place where there's a need. So um, that's why the, the the people can make that decision the best are those that are right there. And yeah, we are we are independent churches. Yes, they're independent churches, us. and that's that's important because you've got to answer to God. You know, I, I don't want people following the denominational party line, but rather what is the Lord saying to you to do? Now the distinctives which make us together, we all share in fellowship. We we really believe them. Um, and that's that's what Calvary, and if you don't believe them, look, go be something else, that's fine. We still love you, we still fellowship with you, you're still brother. But you're you're just not this. You're just not right. this. Yeah. So we want to keep the integrity of that, but that happens in the community and the regional levels. And uh, honestly, when it comes to you know the Calvary Chapel Association, as far as the council, uh, Chuck wanted us to oversee the movement, and the best way to oversee the movement is to serve the regions, and the regions serve the local Calvaries. That's how go. we see it. Mm, awesome. Well, I love going out to that international conference every year, uh, or every other year. I wish it was every year. Sometimes uh, I also wish it maybe it wasn't in California every single time. Yeah, sometimes, but <laughs> I, that hey, is listen, the most economical place to put it because that's where all the I am lobbying is, but, for the Answer Center in Kentucky because Ken Ham ooh, has fun. He has an amazing setup there, and um, they would give us a sweet deal, but um, makes some of the other guys a little nervous about moving it out of the Southern Cal. And they do a great job at Diamond Bar, so. Yeah, they, they oh, they definitely do a great job out there. And I, I love to go, but you know, a lot of times our guys from out here can't make it quite so far, but yeah. I, I'm not trying to say anything negative, it's great. So I wanna, you, you kind of hit on a couple things. And so I wanna start negative, I guess, and then we'll end positive. <laughs> sure. So you mentioned a couple concerns that you have right now. You talk about guys that you kinda wanna talk a lot of theology, but maybe don't have that the right heart in things. Mm. So what what are some of the, you know, not that you are pessimistic, what are some of the things that concern you in, in Calvary Chapel and CCA right now? You know, I, I don't want to become uh, an organization. You know, we don't want to become this, um, this denomination. We really want to keep it simple. And that's kind of, you know, the Word of God, the power of the Spirit of God, you know, depending upon the Lord's leading and uh, encouraging people to be faithful and in being a, uh, loving their wives and you know those those basic simple things because a lot of who you are as a pastor is coming out of your personal character so uh, if you have somebody that wants to model how to be an international speaker and and travel around and you know even when it comes to what we see in our culture um podcasting is great this is a podcast but if your goal is to become like to reach millions but you know, you can be a mile wide and an inch deep. There's nothing ever that can trans that can replace 
the church, the pillar of truth that God established. Mm. That community of people, they're gathered together and they're all different and they have to learn how to love each other. That's why I love that diversity of, of different backgrounds and ages and experiences because that's where you learn how to love. And uh, if there's one thing that Calvary Chapel was known for in the beginning, the Jesus Revolution testifies that I saw some of the things back in those days. Oh, yeah. It was like liquid love. You sense God's presence when you come among his people. And that speaks for itself because right. the Lord then convicts as uh, they come and they, they long for that. The people are longing for genuine relationship. And you can get a million likes on your social media and still be depressed. So do you, is it that, uh, just trying to parse this a little bit, do you think that it is the less focus on, folks with less focus on planting churches and being church ministers and wanting to have like uh, different sort, different kinds of ministries in terms of like social media stuff or like speaking more nothing than more is, planting the church? Yeah, is, nothing, that, is that what you're kind of getting there's at? There's nothing or? wrong with any of those things as, as ancillary to church ministry, you know, where God is working through the church. So this is a great example because you're you're pastoring a church, you're loving your people, and you're you're but you want to reach people out there that don't have this kind of community, and so they can hear about this. I got to check that church out. So mm-hmm. anyway, you get the word out. We did radio, very personal, mm-hmm. and, and and real quick, it's also for our congregation as well yes. because yeah. we there we get asked doctrinal questions all the time, and when you find yourself answering the same questions over and over, it's like, you know, it'd be really great if we just had something we could point them to and say, go listen to this. And mm-hmm. there's so much weirdness on the internet too. It's like, let's let's give our people something to turn to and right. whatever the Lord and you makes can, out of that, he makes out of that. answer a lot of those questions like we do live on Bridge Bible Talk. It's, right. it's like people come with these questions and they pick up weird stuff here and there and we kind of bring them back to the scriptures and kind of settle that. And um, yeah, the church as a whole in America is is fractured in many ways. And I think this is where the word of God binds us together. So let's let's just come back. That's where we have the agreement. That's, we know God has spoken, so gotta go there. Great, all right. Well then let's turn it around now and make it, uh, well, I mean, Zach, do you have anything you wanna jump on this? I mean, you were born and bred Calvary just like I was. I mean, do you have any thoughts on any of that? I was, yeah. And I know that we've uh, we, we've had some conversations kind of offline about this. One, one question I would have, I guess, is, so I, I did, I, I just like Tyler, I was conceived, born, and raised, you know, in the Calvary Chapel movement. This is the only, the only church that I've ever attended has been a Calvary. And one of the things that I experienced, it's, it's very similar to what you described about that progression you were talking about, about how you begin and you've had this convicting relationship. And that was for my parents. My parents both came out of the world, mm-hmm. um, you know, met each other after they had barely been saved in a in a Calvary Chapel and, and you know, just had these profound experiences. I was like this and now I'm like that. Right. You know, I never had that experience. You know, I was saved when I was really, really small right. <laughs> at, at, as part of crusade evangelism. And, and I just always had, had kind of tried to walk with the Lord. One thing that has always saddened me is how long in my life of going to wonderful Calvary churches with wonderful people it took before I know that I can point to and say that I was filled with the Holy Spirit right. and began to understand what it was to be walking in the Spirit and and, and, and the gifts of the Spirit. That happened when, when I was in my early 20s when I moved to, to Virginia and began attending a, a different Calvary. And that was just this emphasis, Tyler, that your dad had was, no, 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 you don't understand. You you must be filled with the Holy Spirit. Like You, you must yeah. have this Acts experience. Acts 19, have you received the Spirit since you believed? Yeah. And, and one thing that... As, as I've kind of gone through these last, I guess, more than you know, 10 or 12 years with the Lord, I've become really jealous for that experience for people. And I've noticed a, a, a trend that I feel, and I don't want to be, again, don't want to be negative, but I have seen a lot more people in Calvary start to ask, where is that? 
Are we are we doing that? Is Chuck, that something that you notice? Yeah, and well, what do you think about that? Chuck had a prophetic insight into that, which is why the, in the last number of conferences he did, a lot of his message was having begun in the spirit, mm-hmm. are we going to now perfect ourselves in the flesh? Mm. That is the danger. Uh, this is what happens. This is how we could become a denomination. We could just go through the motions, but uh, that third generation is just going to be ho-hum. Yeah, this is how we do church. This is how I was raised, and that's all it is. But I really believe that you want to have a holy desperation. Look, I, wait, here's, a, here's a good good illustration. You know, when you wake up in the morning and... Um, you have nothing really pressing against you. You know, the Lord settled all the issues. You're, th- you're feeling pretty good and, you know, think this is going to be a good day. Uh, I found that if I trust that feeling, I am going to start my day on the wrong foot and I won't be prepared for what might come. So when I wake up in the morning and I feel great, I don't trust that feeling. I immediately realize, okay, Lord, um, I don't know what I'm going to face today, but I think the enemy's trying to set me off like I'm doing well. Everything's fine. We're fine. We're all fine. We're the church of the fine people. <laughs> so uh, I yeah. I stir up a, a, a godly fear. Lord, I don't know what today's going to be. Lord, give me wisdom. Help me. And I, I, I'll, I'll begin to read his word. And another good illustration is, you know, people read their Bible by habit, which is good. But sometimes they're just reading words and their mind is elsewhere. And sometimes I do that. When I find myself, my mind strained, and I don't realize what I just read for the last uh, minute, <laughs> I'll stop and I'll go back and start over again. I'm always reminded of something my brother-in-law taught me in construction. He says, if you don't have time to do it right the first time, you sure don't have time to do it again. <laughs> so I will then go back and start over again. And this time I am like, I'm afraid to miss what he's saying. And now it's like the word of God comes alive. So I have to stir up my own heart because any of us can get lethargic. Any of us can get, well, God is blessed and you know I don't have to work that hard at it. Um, don't let him set you up because otherwise you're going to find yourself slipping away and you're, you, you might not even know you're not filled with the Spirit until something comes out of your mouth like, wow, did I just say that? Mm-hmm. Or an attitude that really prevails or even some breakdown in relationship. Then you realize, wow, I need to come back and Lord, Forgive me and just fill me once again with your spirit. Right, and that's what you shared on last night at the church was about be filled with the Holy Spirit. Right? It's a, it's it's a, a be being. It's a yeah, mm-hmm. present imperative. It's ongoing. Yeah. Right. It's you. You need. You have everything that the Lord has provided for you for me to make this command to you, which is to be filled with the Spirit. Make it your business to see to it that you have the Holy Spirit with you at all times. If we think we have enough of what it takes to do this work. Uh, we have to be reminded that the best we can do is bring a few loaves and fishes. And unless the Lord multiplies it, we got nothing. Unless the Lord builds a house, we labor in vain. And I'm always reminding my staff and our volunteers and myself, Lord, I don't have a clue what I'm doing. You know, you, I got this message. I worked it. It sounds good. I, I think I got what you're saying. But Lord, you're God. You know. So if we have that holy desperation, right. he will answer. Yeah. No, that's it, man. And it's I, I like to use this illustration of not only illustration, but it illustrate this point where once you've been in a church service where the, the you're worshiping and you're singing and the Holy Spirit just knocks you out and like you're down on the floor weeping or or even if you're standing up and cheering and celebrating, you just have one of those amazing you know, it doesn't happen all the time, but oh my goodness, we met God here. Right. Once you've done that, every time you come into a worship service after that, it's never the same. Because you know that 
that's always the possibility. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, we're still worshiping the Lord out of obedience and we're still you know being edified and we're worshiping the Lord because he deserves it. But there's that, you know, like, oh man, what if this is one of those days where that, 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 that anticipation, right? Mm. Of, uh, I think Spurgeon used to call it the romance of preaching is like, sometimes you get up there and you preach and man, people just are saved and they're delivered and uh, you don't know when it's going to happen, but it might be this time. And mm-hmm. that's kind of like what walking in the spirit is like, is yeah, for the, sure. the, we can encounter God today. So, mm. well, let me ask you then this, uh, Pastor Lloyd, what excites you about Calvary Chapel right now, the CCA? What excites you about what's happening and what's, what's coming? I randomly... You know, went into a bunch of Calvary websites, you know, throughout the country. Just I didn't know anything about them. And I'd go on their website and I'd find their teaching and I'd go on and I'd listen to a little of the message. And I'm like, wow, okay, going through the scriptures. That encouraged me greatly that people realize that we got nothing but the word of God and we better be diligent to expound it because if the word of God has power. And then, you know, that aspect of knowing that, yeah, there's still that need where people can get comfortable in that style, but look, look, to see somebody taking a step of faith and doing something unique to them tells me they're following the Lord. And Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm encouraged that there's a lot of, the Calvary Magazine kind of reflects a lot of things going on around the country Mm -hmm. that's always encouraging to me, like, wow, that's a great idea. Doesn't make, I'm gonna gonna do that, because that's for them, but I'm encouraged, that's a great step of faith, that's amazing. So I get inspired. Look, well, the Bible says outdo one another in love. I think we should all as pastors be thinking yeah. about how can we outdo one another in love? Not out of a competition to look at me, <laughs> but uh, wow, that inspires me. I want to I want to take a step of faith too. Mm. So I'm encouraged that there's that happening. Again, a thousand Calvaries added since Chuck passed when I would have thought the movement would have splintered in many ways. How many of those are domestic versus international? So how many of those are in the States versus around the world? Well, it's, it, it, I, I would say if I'm a betting man, there's a good percentage of, it's about the same percentage that multiplied overseas as it did over here. Because we're, I just came hmm, back wow. from Peru, there was 70 pastors there of Calvary chapels at this oh, yeah. gathering in wow. Trujillo. Yeah, Corey Kilgus, I, I preached there this last month and, or last year and He's a he's a good friend of ours. I, he's doing an amazing thing down there. I flipped out when a lot of the guys from Colombia came up to me and they said, "We remember you." And I'm like, "Wait, wait, wait! I was there 30 years ago, and they <laughs> still remember me." And that was humbling because it was like, I, I mean, I was a young guy then, and they're they're just so hungry about every little thing they get. They don't forget, and that was humbling because you know I'm busy here and there, and I I don't I didn't remember them particularly, but. They remembered, and so when we, when we pour into places like that, Peru or South America or or even Africa, so seeing in Africa mm-hmm. such sweet unity at that pastors conference in Eldoret, uh, and then then over in uh, Hungary, I, I shared in Calvary Budapest when I went there, um, uh, going over to Ukraine, and I, I'm talking to some of the guys, and they're like they're they're helping their refugees, they're doing stuff. So I'm wherever I go, it's like God seems to be honoring His word. And as long as we continue to depend upon his spirit and not the arm of the flesh, I believe the Lord's going to continue to bless. Mm. Oh, that's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we're, we represent here that, that generation that is coming up because I never met Pastor Chuck Smith. Right. And I've visited Costa Mesa before, but I never, you know, he wasn't there. Yeah. And so I, I wasn't there, obviously, in the Jesus movement. I've heard all the stories, but one of the things we talk about a lot, Zach and I and our friends, we've got a lot of guys down in uh, lower Alabama that feel the same way. It's like 
those are great, but we want our own stories now. Yeah. We're, we're excited yeah. for the next thing. That, and, that reminds me, yes, what really makes me excited probably the most is um, God is doing something in our church in the young generation, the 20s, 30-something. And I'm pouring into what I call my my PLS crew, pastors, leaders, and servants in training. And um, man, I tell you, the the hunger, I'm taking them through some pretty weighty, heavy things to sort through. I'm not giving them pablum. I'm really mm-hmm. challenging them. I'm telling them to get out. We, we did a table at the fair. We had to engage with people and I dialogue with people. And I'm watching the next generation ra- raise up right in front of me. And that's exciting because as I... As I get a little bit older, I don't know if I, the Lord could take me home this year, next year, a decade from now. I'm confident God is going to handle what He's going to do. Yeah, there's Let's some go. of us. I remember uh, I was talking to Anthony Ray down from Dothan, Alabama, mm-hmm. one time, and was, I think maybe uh, Joey from Baton Rouge was there too, and <laughs> we were all talking. And uh, we had been somewhere at a, at a meeting or something where one uh, an older pastor was just kind of kind of singing a swan song over his life and, and Calvary Chapel and the world. And it's like, it's all over and this is the end. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's been yeah. great while it lasted, but you know, at time it is like, it's like, buddy, I'm just getting started, Wake man. Up. You know, yeah, I'm ready. A lot I'm, going I, on. I, I realize it's been, you know, I realize how things have fallen, but I didn't, Zach and I didn't watch them fall. Right. We've kind of woken up and then this is our world. And so, you know, the first message I ever gave at Calvary Chapel Trustville, we called it the church on defense. Because it's like that's the the swing. That's the switch. Is now we're having to play defense as opposed to being the dominant force in the culture or a force in the culture. It's it's all going to be back. But you know, I like playing defense because <laughs> it's you've got to be a little rougher. You got to be a little tougher. You got to be willing to to take a few hits and take losses, but manage them and keep going. And um, there, the I'm very excited for what's coming next among us. Man, you know, there's some great people that listen, the Lord is like using. Spurgeon said, "Be on fire for God, and people will come out and watch you burn." And it reminds me of Peter's mention in 1 Peter 3.15, which often gets used by apologetics uh, ministries to say, you know, give a reason or give a defense for the hope mm-hmm. that's in you. And they somehow bypass that word hope. And they realize that's the only reason why someone would want a reason for what you believe. Mm-hmm. They see hope. They see hope in you. And that right. makes them ask the question, what makes you so hopeful? What, what, what is it about you? Why, what's, what makes you tick? And then you give them a reason. It's Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. You, yep. heard, you heard Pastor Lloyd, zero pessimists allowed. <laughs> yeah, well, we're, we worship a Lord who died on the cross and rose from the dead. We there don't get go. to like be, oh, well, it's too late now. It's like, what? Too late. Jesus was dead for three days and he came back and we're his servants. So that's, right. that's a great place to end it. Unless, Zach, you want to jump in and have the last no, word. No, no, that's, and... that's encouraging. Man. And that's, that's you know, we, we're we really blessed to hear things like that, Pastor Lloyd, because you, like, like Tyler said, this is our, in many ways, we see ourselves as, you know, we want to be prepared to do well. We want to we want to do do well by the Lord, of course, and we want to honor the Lord. But we also have looked back and we see men that you know, I, I the the men, some of the men that raised me up in the faith and that were my pastors that they're with the Lord now, you know. So we we realize that this is our our t- turn to do well by them and honor what the, they're handing off to us, and and it's important to us to hear that you know th- this is what we should be following, this is what we should be doing, this is the path that we should be walking. I and mean, we think a lot of that, and we, we really want to. It's important to us to to obey the Lord and to to carry that on so it's it's good to hear you know just what you're seeing from a broader perspective it's encouraging to us yeah 
God is working. Yes, he is. Well, thanks so much, Pastor Lloyd, for coming on to the podcast with us today. Thank you. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. So if you guys want to know more about Pastor Lloyd's Calvary Chapel Old Bridge, it's the Bridge Women's Center, Bridge FM. Am I missing anything? (laughs) A lot of bridges. A lot of bridges, Uh, yeah. Bridge Life Thrift, uh, you know, but Bridge... You know, Bridging the Gap is my radio program, um, and then we have Bridge Bridge uh, Talk Radio. So, yeah, we kind of capitalized on the word bridge hey. and old bridge for some reason. There you go. Hey, well, we're, <laughs> we're the Ironworks everything, so yeah, yeah, this is go. great. There you go. Yeah, there and you've you been go. listening to the Ironworks podcast. Thank you all so much for joining us today. We will resume our series in the Trinity next time, but uh, thanks for t- sticking with us this long and talking about a lot of great things. So we'll see you all next time on the Ironworks podcast. Bye-bye. Thanks, guys. Oh.